You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Good morning. All right. So let's start this sermon with something that you actually do really care about. My little baby. How about that? She's about... This is Elizabeth May. If you guys haven't gotten to meet her yet, she's uh, she actually is coming today, so she'll be in the infant room, I think, uh, hanging out. So that's her. That's why I've kind of been bloodshot-eyed for the last six weeks. So uh, we're going to continue our sermon series today on happiness. And uh, like she said, Jeremy's not here. But if you missed last week, we do have our podcasts uh, for East Lincoln uh, that are on the website, so you can catch up. But today, I thought we would go ahead and dive right in and begin by praying. Does that sound like a good idea? All right. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth. Uh, I pray that you will do something today that no man can do, and that is to illuminate it into our hearts. Make it real. Cause transformation, Lord, because our desire is to be like you and to be with you. And if you agree, we say amen this morning. Sorry, I'm just catching my breath. That last song was a lot of fun. So I'm a, in, in addition to being the worship pastor for East Lincoln, I'm also the worship pastor for all of our youth groups. Uh, and so there's, there's a couple campuses, and you know they also comprise of some middle school students. So I walked up and I heard these kids uh, doing the uh, my dad's better than your dad conversation. You guys remember that one? There's three boys, and one of them says, oh, yeah? Well, my dad can scratch down a couple words on a piece of paper, call it a poem, and get 50 bucks for it. And the other boy said, oh, yeah? My dad can scratch down a few words on a piece of paper, and they'll give him 100 bucks for it, and he calls it a song. I'm like, wow. And the other little boy said, oh, yeah? Well, my dad can write down a couple things on a piece of paper, call it a sermon, and it takes eight people to take up all the money. <laughs> so... I like that boy, and uh, so I kind of had to wait till Jeremy was out of town to teach that one. I mean, to tell that one because here we take the offerings up after the worship. If you don't know me, I'm so joking. I'm really kidding. So let's dive right in today. So the title of our sermon today, part four, is Four Exercises to Keep Your Heart Happy. And we are looking at Philippians chapter two. So we're going to hop to verse 12. In verse 12, I'm just going to kind of catch you up with a Josh Zabowski paraphrase. And it goes like this. Paul is telling the Philippians, hey, you know what? You're doing great. Uh, you're doing the stuff that I taught you. I hear that you keep you keep on doing it. You're working hard. So work hard to obey the commands of God because. And then he goes into verse 13. And let's pop that up there. Verse 13 says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, this brings us to our first point, which is pretty close to that. Always remember that God is with you. He is in you and he's for you. Now, this sounds like stuff that. It's pretty much in all the songs that I sing on Sundays, right? And if our God is for us, then who could ever, right? And we, we sing all that stuff. But uh, when I read this, I was like, you know, I'm going to use one of the things that I like to do for my own personal Bible time. So this is some free information, all right? If you want to study the Word, don't start with verses that you don't know or don't understand or try to come up with the things that people are arguing about. Go to the verse you really know, like, for God so loved the world, and then start studying it. 
Because what happens is when you study something you already know, whether you use concordances or, or any kind of tools online, there's so much stuff now, you, you will actually start to realize how much God loves you and how big his word actually is and how, how dense it really is. So this is what I did with this verse because this sounds like something that we know, right? God's in us, he's for us, he's with us. So I, I went to the Amplified Bible, and I think we got it up there. Do we have it up there, Isaac? And it says, here we go. For it is not my strength. The Amplified basically gives more of a definition and puts it into the sentences. For it is not my strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in me, both to will and to work, that is, strengthening energizing and creating in me the longing and the ability to fulfill my purpose for his good pleasure. That sounds a little bit more in depth, doesn't it? So this is what I'm getting out of this when I read this. And I I actually would like us to read it together because the original says your, but I changed the Bible and put my. Okay, so nobody crucify me yet. So we're going to we're going to read this all together and I want you guys to make this personal this morning. Are you ready? All together. For it is not my strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in me, both to will and to work, that is strengthening energizing and creating in me the longing and the ability to fulfill my purpose for his good pleasure. I don't know how much more purpose you could feel, how much more strength and joy that you could feel after reading this verse. I was pretty excited. I I was like, let's go to the next verse and see what's going on. So I go to Philippians 2.14 and it goes, do everything without complaining. And I was like, I felt like, like what, what happened, you know? And so as I, as I begin to look at this, it brings us to our second point, which is be grateful and never grumble. And I know that this sounds like something that it's kind of common sense, you know, things that we should probably avoid, like trans fats and I-77. And I do. And... Uh, so I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I want you to blurt it out out loud, okay? Uh, why would you ever <coughs> complain or grumble? Why would you ever complain or grumble? Because you have kids that make a mess. I understand. <laughs> Not happy? Not getting your own way. Ingratitude. Ingratitude. Me focused. Selfish. Selfish? Not feeling well. Good. Discontented. Discontented. Anybody else want to confess this morning? <laughs> Insecurity. Insecurity. Selfish. Selfishness. Prideful. Prideful. Because it feels good. Because it feels good. Let me tell you something. All these answers are correct, and they have one thing in common. We are ungrateful and complain when something isn't good enough. Because if it was good enough for us, what would you have to complain about? What would you be ungrateful for, right? 
So actually, this little verse has a lot to it. Listen to this. I was reading this in an article, and it just really hopped out at me. The most miserable Christians I've seen are those who live with one foot in both worlds. They hedge their bets. They have one eye on heaven and one eye on earth. They call on the name of Christ, but they're still trying to find security, satisfaction, pleasure, and fulfillment from this world. They're riding the fence, and they're not happy. And they're not happy. You know who did this? Eve. All the way back in the garden. God said, do whatever, go whatever. It was was like whatever land, except for one tree. Except for one tree. I would have never sinned and got us all in this mess because that tree did not grow filet mignons or baked potatoes. You know, it grew something else. But God said anything but this tree, right? And look what, look what happens in, in Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, which God said it's not, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took its fruit and ate it. What did she do? She looked at something. She goes, I don't care what God says. This is good. Here's what happens. If you go chasing good outside of God, you will find another God that is not good. Do you understand? You see what I'm saying? It'll feel good for a second. I love this definition. The essence of sin is looking for good outside of God, his will, and his word. I'll say it again. The essence of sin is looking for good outside of God, his will, and his word. We stumble in the same way. When I dig beneath the surface of any sin in my life, I find that I'm trying to get something apart from God in his way. That good thing might be pleasure, security, significance, satisfaction, justice, belonging, comfort, some physical need. But I try to get it without God. All these things can be good because they come from God. But when you go looking for these things outside of God, what you end up with is something empty and will leave you miserable and not keep you happy. Am I bumming you guys out? This is like a happy sermon. (laughs) If you go looking for good outside of God, you will find another God that isn't good. David David experienced this. He said, the sorrows of those that run after another God shall multiply. You say, well, Josh, what about real sorrow? Because there is real sorrow. And there is real pain and there is real suffering. And it's very, very real. What do we do with that? G.K. Chesterton lived in the 1800s. Genius genius writer. Um, He got saved and actually he wrote the book called The Everlasting Man that ended up leading C.S. Lewis to the Lord. Um, And he said this, and I love this, and we're going to talk about the sorrow. For the Christian, joy is the central feature of life and sorrow is peripheral because the fundamental questions of life are answered and the peripheral ones are relatively unanswered. For the atheist, however, sorrow is central and joy is peripheral because the peripheral questions are answered. They come up with the answers for the things around you. But the central ones, which are eternal, they don't have the answer. You see, the Christian can have joy in the midst of sorrow. Do you know why? I I never knew this till I started studying for this sermon. I never looked at it this way. 
Joy is the emotion of salvation. I've always wondered why joy was so big and why it can't be rattled and why the Bible tells us nobody can take it because nobody can take your salvation. Amen? You can dip yourself out of not thinking about your salvation and then be outside of your joy, but that joy didn't go anywhere. You hear what I'm saying? That's why they can find peace in the middle of it. Listen to this. Joy and laughter should be the church's norm, not the exception. And no, I'm not talking about pasting a false smile in the midst of heartache. The The Bible doesn't back away from, but addresses the realities of life in a world under the curse. The Apostle Paul himself said, sorrow, yet always rejoicing. Sorrow and joy can and do exist for now. But note that he says, always be on the lookout for rejoicing. It is not insensitive or unkind or wrong to be happy. By being happy in Christ, I love this, we lay claim to the fact that God is bigger than the fall, because that's the things that make us sorrowful, whether it's loss of loved ones, sick, whatever it is, that Christ is bigger than the fall and affirm that our Lord and Jesus Christ will reverse the curse and we will reign in a new universe. Our happiness shouts that our happy God is presently working in us every day of every hour. Now catch this. The narrower our view of God's presence in this world and in our daily lives, the less happiness you will experience. I think we could take a page from Louisa Steed. She lived in 1850. And when she was about 25 years old, she married the, the, uh, the man of her dreams. And a year later, they had a little girl named Livy. And when, they, when she was about eight, nine years old, uh, they, they went out to the uh, Jersey coast for a picnic. You could do that then. <laughs> and uh, as they were out there, they see a boy struggling in the ocean. This is a true story. They see a boy struggling in the ocean, and the dad gets up and runs out there to go help the kid. And the mom and the eight-year-old are standing there. And unfortunately, what happens so many times in cases like this, the boy ended up dragging the dad down with him. And they watched from the shore as the dad and husband died, along with this little boy. And to top it off, it was the 1900s, early 1900s. And she financially couldn't take care of her daughter and herself. And she writes about and tells stories about how when she was at her last, she wouldn't complain. But something would always show up on the doorstep. Somebody would always leave a note, I felt led to bake you this cake. I felt led to leave you these groceries. And she would just rejoice and rejoice in that, in that time, which I, I can't even imagine. And uh, she got married a few uh, years after that. And she was looking back on this time in her life, and she wrote a poem. And years later, William Kirkpatrick put music to it. And this poem, the last two verses, if you think about what happened in her life, she dedicated this poem to her journey with Christ and what had happened during those years. This is what happened. Yes, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life, rest, and joy and peace. I'm so glad I've learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that thou art with me, with me to the end. Did she feel sorrow? Yes, she, 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 she felt it for a time. Of course. 
That's absolutely normal. But did she trust in Jesus? Yes. Did it keep her? Yes. I, uh, my friends here, Caroline, I was talking to her, what was it, last week? Talking about her dad, and her dad passed away four weeks ago now it is. And uh, her, her dad and mom were married for 62 years. That's just amazing. And so, you know, we just wanted to do something nice for her mom. She lives here in Denver. So I went down there and dropped off some flowers. I tried to drop off some flowers. I'm an introvert. Even though I'm really funny, I get it. I, I, I'm really introverted, so I was going to ring the doorbell and set it down and take off, you know. And so I went to do that, and the door was open, and I see her, so I was like, I'll stay. And so she opens the door, and just a lovely lady, and she said, she said, well, 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 would you like to come in and watch the Carolina game? I was like, you're awesome. It's like, yeah. I'll come watch the Carolina game with you. So we're in there just talking. She's kind of telling me her story and, you know, telling me about her husband. And it, it wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy transition. But you would never know from talking to her unless you heard her words. Because she said, you know, I really miss him. I miss him every day. And then she said something that just made me feel like I had just become a Christian because of the weight that was behind it. And she looked at me and sincerely said, there is not one day that Jesus can't get me through. I was like, wow. Three weeks, her best friend. She says, there is not one day that Jesus can't get me through. How can I learn to trust Jesus like Carolyn's mom, like Louisa? Number three is, Hold firmly to the word. Carolyn's mom knows the word of God. She was quoting it to me. I think she wrote the sermon. <laughs> See, the word, of, the word of God has what is central. It's your salvation. It's your joy. And yet, it may not answer all the peripheral, but it doesn't matter because that's all temporary, right? Yeah. Stay grounded in the word. Psalms 19, 1 through 2 says, Happy are those who live pure lives, who follow the Lord's teaching. Happy are those who keep his rules, who try to obey with their whole heart. I'm telling you right now, you start digging into the word and you start doing some submitting, some stop lowering, uh, lawyering yourself out of the word of God, making up excuses and start bending your will to his, something's going to happen in you. And you're going to become more like him. And I'll tell you something. You probably don't think of this a lot. God's happy. I know we don't think of him that way because we think he's so serious and up there and just like, oh, look at all the sinners. But he's, you know, but why would he tell you to be like him and tell you to be happy and he's not? We know he experiences sorrow. We know he experiences anger. He's mostly angry at me and Jeremy. We know, you know. But why would he tell you that? Exactly. So, Paul, that's why Paul ends this talk with Philippians 2, 7, uh, 17 and 18. And it doesn't make sense to the person whose joy isn't central. What does he say? But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. All 
I mean, sorry. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you shall rejoice. And I will share your joy. So I had an experience like this that I want to tell you about. Sorry, I'm drinking coffee. I got an infant. I got to do this three times. So y'all give me a break, all right? This is a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago. I had a bunch of little things. You, you guys ever have like a bunch of little things and it just starts adding up to a lot of, and it seems like a lot of big things and you're stressed out and exhausted. It's just, it's, it's just me? It's you? Okay. And I got up early in the morning and I like early in the morning because that's when nobody else is up in the morning. And I was like, oh, I can watch some TV, you know, and just kind of chill out and kind of relax, maybe play my video game on my phone. And I just knew that that wasn't the answer. I was like, okay, I'm going to go read the Bible. So I grab an iPad and I sit down in the living room trying to practice what I preach, y'all. And so I started reading and I just couldn't concentrate. I couldn't get my head there. You know what I'm saying? You ever read and you're like, I don't even know what I just read. I know I'm doing the right thing. You know, and then this Bible verse came to me and it said, in his presence is fullness of joy. I was like, okay, well, how do I get into his presence? I should know this. I do this on Sundays. How should I? And the Bible verse came to me right then. It said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So I'm standing there at five o'clock in the morning. I don't feel like doing this at all. I want to watch TV. You know, and I even gave God an inch. I was like, I'll read the Bible. <laughs> so I stood up. I didn't sing. I just stood up. And then I literally did this, and I just put my hands out. Didn't feel good. Didn't want to do it. Flesh was fighting me 100%. And I said, Lord, you are so good, and I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the blessings in my life. And I just started naming the blessings that God has given me and the things that he had done for me and how he had saved me because I know what I was like and I know what having no purpose is like. And I just began to do that and I began to sing in tongues and I just began to, I don't even know what happened. At like nine o'clock, I'm in the, I'm in the, the kitchen like making eggs going, <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of like, what happened? Here's what happened. In his presence is fullness of joy. And I got into his presence by nothing fancier than obeying the word of God as it came to my heart. Just that simple, guys. So I'm going to make a challenge for you. This, there's, there's no altar call today. You're off the hook. Here's your challenge. Monday morning, lift your hands and begin to thank him and to praise him and get into his presence. Whenever you feel down, and distracted, or, or you feel depressed, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I understand depression. I get it. Praise Him. Praise Him. Begin to lift your hands and walk around. You don't, you don't have to sing any songs. Just begin to bless His name. I think that we could really not just take a page from Louisa Steed and Carolyn's mom, but also probably one of the well, not one. The greatest figure of all time. I read earlier from a book that I really liked, and this is the end of the book, and it's by G.K. Chesterton once again. And he's a really prolific writer, but if you want to see this, I'll be glad to send it to you. But I'm going to read it to you because it just talks about who Jesus is and all his emotions. Joy, which was the small publicity for the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. And as I close this chaotic volume, he's talking about the book he's writing, I open again this strange small book from which all Christianity came. I am again haunted by a strange kind of confirmation. 
this tremendous figure, which fills the Gospels, towers in this respect as in every other above all thinkers who ever thought themselves tall. His pathos was natural, almost casual. The Stoic ancients and moderns were proud of concealing their tears. He never concealed his tears. He showed them plainly on his open face at any daily sight, yet he concealed something. Solemn supermen and imperial diplomats are proud of their restraint of anger. He did not restrain his anger. He flung furniture down the front steps of the temple and asked men how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. Yet he restrained something. I say it reverently. There was something in that shattering personality, a thread that must be called shyness. There was something that he covered constantly by abrupt silence or impetuous isolation. There was some one thing that was too great for God to show us when he walked upon our earth. And I have sometimes fancied that it was his mirth, that it was his laughter. And I fancy that someday when we are in his presence, it will all be opened up in a way for which we have no earthly analogy to do it justice. Now listen to this. And I believe worship is that clue that takes us into the mirth of God. Over and over you'll read in the Psalms that the presence of the Lord is full of joy. Every good gift comes from heaven. And I want to encourage you today that you have access to this. Yes, you may be in sorrow, but you have access to joy. You have access to comfort. No, your situation may not change, but it's peripheral. Your joy, the emotion of your salvation is central. And I encourage you, especially in the mornings before you start your day, get back to the central. Get back to the middle. Get back to where you know you are in Christ. Amen. I want to pray a little blessing over you from Romans fifteen thirteen. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We stand. If you don't know Jesus today or if you're in need of encouragement or healing, I would like to encourage you. So please come talk to one of our prayer partners. They're going to be up here after the service. They're probably making their way up here right now. Don't let a day go by. Because let me tell you something. You can't do this without Jesus. You can't. And if you're doing it without Jesus and you have access to him, quit being an idiot. Look, I love you guys. God bless. And you're welcome for getting out early. See you next week. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.